Okay. Um, and let's do a clap on the 25 or 20 second mark. Two zero. Clap. I got distracted and looked away and I missed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was going to say, I didn't see a clap. Let's, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Look, I, the... I just woke up like five seconds ago, so oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's okay. You're doing right, great. Let, yeah. Let's, uh, let's do it again on the, uh, five zero second mark 50. I'm watching this time real close. Not moving. I'm not blinking. <laughs> Clap. Perfect. <laughs> Nailed it, guys. All right. But I believe <laughs> I believe in all of us. This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two cosplayers looking for a fight on the main stage. Tia Vasilio. Hi. And Kara Shamborski. Hi. It's funny because we don't <laughs> cosplay. I, listen, <laughs> yeah, I know. Was, that was but confusing. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about comic book conventions today, and I'm really excited, and so I'm changing things up. Um, but before we, we get into all of that, uh, let's talk about the thing that we have to talk about every single week, which is comics. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let me start with you, Kara. Well, first of all, I want to go back to your joke opening premise, because for your information, Tia and I would not be competing against each other. We would be competing against everybody else and winning. So well, I, 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 that, that implication wow, was however you want to inter- interpret it, you know, two cosplayers looking for a fight on the main stage against other people is kind of the way that I was presenting it in my mind. Like you've taken over the main stage. Now you're saying if you want this son of this thing back, you've got to fight us to you know to take it so i think she's looking for a fight with you mike <laughs> I, <man. laughs> all right tia will be a gender swapped baphomet and i'll be lucifer and we will crush the competition i love this i love it <laughs> okay um how have i been um uh pre- <laughs> uh watching probably more um halloweeny horror content than i am perhaps equipped to watch um i've been watching lovecraft country on hbo and um for the first time ever i watched the 90s classic the craft and (gasps) right i had i had never seen it before um and it i mean they were they were playing it on on freeform as part of the 31 days of halloween so i mean the opportunity was right there and um it had been on my list for a while because uh, a lot of people kind of put it in the same uh, category as either Heather's or um, Practical Magic and kind of like that 80s, 90s girl gang, but magic and violence category, I guess. Um, but uh, as someone who is high key obsessed with Practical Magic, um, did not feel that same pull with the craft i understand why people love it and i feel like if i had come to it at an earlier age and just like had a million repeat watchings and memories associated with it i would feel differently but going in as an adult i was like removed enough from the adolescent angst to just be like everybody here needs to calm down (laughs) and like take a breath and maybe not mess with things that they don't understand. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I feel like the story did a really good job of 
like you understand why the characters are making the choices that they're making and not in a like shoving it in your face kind of way. Um, And I really enjoy stories that do trust the audience. So that part um, I was really into. And I agree, the aesthetics are on point. Um, So in, in keeping with my my it is Halloween month, therefore I will Halloween everything. Uh, I read Lumberjanes number nine, um, which in the collected versions is in volume three. And this is part of like over the summer when I was like, oh, I want to pretend it's summer camp and not a pandemic, even though I never went to summer camp. Um, I was reading, revisiting Lumberjanes and also kind of revisiting it because when it, the series first came out, I was like, oh my God, this series is amazing. And like now that a few years have passed it's um with the magic of the internet there's more like oh lumberjanes isn't really a diverse uh creator book but the people on the page are diverse so let's have that conversation and maybe boom wasn't the best to all the creators on this book and maybe the creative team has shifted so often that there's like no coherency to it so i kind of wanted to go back in now like older sadder and wiser (laughs) and see you know if my 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 thoughts about the series have changed and um so it was delightfully appropriate that in the midst of my halloween-ness um i had totally forgotten that one of the early issues is like a campfire ghost story issue um so in number nine um the the girls in this this summer camp are sitting around the campfire and the whole story just takes place with them sitting around the campfire and each one of them is telling a different scary story. And what I really liked about it is that each of the stories that they were telling was illustrated by a different artist. So each story has like a totally different feel and color palette and style. Um, right. So it it even though it was just like a regular floppy like 20 pages long it felt like a much longer and more interesting tale because it was just all these little like two or three page stories um broken up by art style and it was like a really nice showcase of all these different um styles of art like one of them was more um like something that you would expect to see in like a fantagraphics book and one of the styles uh, one of the stories was done by um, Faith Erin Hicks, who did Adventures of Superhero Girl and um, Friends with Boys. And so her style is a little more like um, cartoony, but with like a little more like sketchiness to it. So it was it was really easy to discern what was happening because it was so visually broken up like this, which brings me to my next point. <laughs> this issue is a perfect example of why credits in comic books are so fraught like every one of these stories like this story would not have worked without the talent of all of these these artists but when i looked for tried to look up the credits of the artists on this story um i found like two like for example looking on amazon they credit faith Aaron hicks emily carroll and various and i was like no it's not various there's like six artists on this so um and i looked on the boom website and the boom website like does not have like the earlier issues listed with their credits and like for the lumberjane series as a whole they only list four creators and i was like well that's garbage because like maybe a hundred people have worked on this book at this point so i had to like go 
into the actual book and look at the credit page, which, you know, at least that existed. But it's like if I was trying to find work by one of these artists, I would never know that they had done an issue of Lumberjanes, you know? Yeah. See, this is this is just more frustration like about comicbookdb.com being gone like i know this is this is very much just like an old story like an old tale and everyone's been whining about it i've seen stuff like on twitter about it but it is so frustrating because that was for the longest time like the only source where you could find this kind of like detail because publisher sites are so inconsistent wikis are so inconsistent like places like amazon that are kind of supposed to have a lot of this centralized data are so inconsistent so I, I just want comic book DB back. Anyone out there, I'm just, I'm making like a bold call. If anybody out there has like a data set or like a, a backup of that data, hit me up. I want to figure this out. I want to, I want to maybe see what we can do because I comics, build websites. I, I, if this is the way that I save comics, then fucking so be it. Cause like I have technical skills to build websites. Let's build a website. Let's figure this thing out. Ugh. anyway, sorry. No, no, this <laughs> I, I'm is glad this you is... enjoyed the comic. Thank you. But this is what I'm saying. It was like, I, I enjoyed the comic, but it was also just problems of the comic book industry in a perfect microcosm of beauty and horror. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, let's bring comic book DB back or something similar. We'll, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tia, how about you? How have you been? How have comic books been for you? Um, I have been. <laughs> yes. And um, comic books have been around me <laughs> i don't know i'm tell us I, about the sunsets tia you have so many well, nice yeah ones. like the, i go i've been surfing i've been going to the sunset honestly guys i'm just like <sighs> tia I'm we're so in a pandemic it. i'm so over it all i know yeah. like, everyone's tired just, all like, the time can't do it anymore <laughs> that's okay uh, i did yeah, I'm like really, I'm really sad. It, I feel like it's been a whole year of just like I haven't seen anybody, mm-hmm. I haven't done anything. My birthday is coming up, but nothing's gonna happen. Especially after last year, which was the best birthday ever. Halloween's coming up, nothing's gonna happen. It's a full moon Halloween, nothing's gonna happen. I'm just don't like it. I don't yeah. like it at all. Yeah. So I, I actually read this week a book that. I read in prose when I really need like a hug. Uh, the Last Unicorn by Peter S. Beagle. When I was in my master's program, um, a friend in the program with me gave all of us a copy of the book, just a paperback copy, and said, you know, just read this when you need a hug. And she was so right. And I do. Um, and it's lovely. And I'm sure a lot of people are also familiar with the um, animated film, which is also lovely. Uh-huh. Uh, but did you know that IDW has a graphic novel? This I did not know. Uh, the adaptation is by Peter Gillis and the art is by Renee Dillis and Ray Dillon on colors. And, um, you know, I think that it both the film and the graphic novel adaptation, I think, follow the story of the original prose novel pretty well. And the the graphic novel just has a, a somewhat of a different aesthetic um, and a different tone. I, I find the film really like the color palette of the film tends to kind of be a little washed out for me. And the 
book uh, or the graphic novel rather uh, is it's a little more saturated, which for me, I don't know, like with a fantasy story, I, I like the saturated colors. Um, there's a, there's a lot of purple, uh, cause of course the, uh, unicorn lives in a lilac wood. And so the purple really gets carried through the book, um, I think also red is a, a recurring color in the in the graphic novel that is really symbolic and important and white for the unicorn. Uh, so the story, if you don't know, is the, uh, there's this unicorn and uh, she lives all alone in a lilac wood, as as I said, and um, you know all of the all of the other unicorns have have long disappeared. And she uh, goes on a journey to find them because she's lonely. And uh, which, you know, like I'm about to do that myself here. And she encounters a magician named Smedric. And he's kind of a like awkward, you know, he's not he's no great magician or anything. Uh, But um, they kind of go on a journey and adventure. She gets uh, kidnapped at one point they meet up with then then Schmedrick gets kidnapped they they meet up with these bandits and um, one of the bandits Molly ends up joining them on their quest and not everyone can see the unicorn for what she is um, which is really interesting and you know identity is uh, a theme in addition to loneliness I think that really resonates when you're feeling uh, kind of melancholy Collie and contemplative mm-hmm. in the book. Um, and then also I think regret and sacrifice are themes that are just really powerful in this book. They eventually, um, so it turns out that the unicorns were all driven into the sea by the Red Bull. And um, that's why red, as I said, was a color in the book. I think that uh symbolically is used throughout the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so at one point they encounter the Red Bull and to rescue her, the the uh, the unicorn, Schmedrick like does a spell really quick and it turns her into a woman. And so they they journey to to this castle and the king there is like this sort of grumpy, lonely old man who lives there all alone with his son and it turns out that the secret to what happened to the unicorns is like it's there and they discover uh, kind of more about the nefarious things that happened to the unicorn and there's a big moment um and then ultimately the book ends up being kind of a love story but not in the way that you think and mm-hmm. If you prefer to read graphic novels over prose books, which I know a lot of people do, and and I really love visual storytelling, so I completely understand, uh, I I would definitely pick up the graphic novel. You will get everything from the from the prose novel in terms of like the themes and and all of that. But I think that actually, like I just I love the layouts in this book. They're really spectacular. They do a lot of the storytelling, like. Uh, just the way that the panels will be separated. Um, it, it's very rarely like a panel grid. There's very rarely outlines of the panel. This So it, it really flows. Um, one scene, one panel kind of flows into the next. And it will use, um, 
I don't know, aspects of the story uh, to like like the unicorn's hair or something like that uh, mm-hmm. to separate out the story beats. And so I like that it, it sort of feels meandering in the way that a fable would feel. I don't know I, how to describe it exactly, but I just think that the um, the visual sort of formal aspect of the storytelling is, is really perfect for this, for this story. And there's one chapter where it kind of goes into like, you know how there's always a scene before the big battle, like in Game of Thrones, they had this episode too, where it's like, everyone's kind of sitting waiting, and you sort of skip from character to character and, and they're all just sort of having a talking moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's a chapter like that in the book before, like the sort of big scene. And um, in the corner of of each page, there's like a beautiful design, or um, I don't know how you would describe it, like uh, that that kind of establishes each character, like whose perspective it is. So um, it's and it's done in a way where it looks like it's carved into the stonework of the castle. Um, But if you look really closely, you know, you see the like the symbols belong to each character. It's it's beautiful. And if you need a hug like I do, uh, you should definitely read it. And also um, just to keep with the theme of this week, I bought this at the first the first convention i ever went to was new york comic con uh 2014 or 2015 now i can't remember i want to say 2014 i'd have to look that up anyway i went by myself i was really nervous and one of and i had a list of things that I had to do and a backpack full of books to get signed. And one of the books was my paperback from grad school because uh, Peter S. Beagle was going to be there signing books. And oh, nice. so I got to meet him and I, you know, thanked him for writing the book that helped, like emotionally supported me through grad school. And he like, he was really touched by that. And then I, that's when I got this graphic novel, um, which you know, so that just there's an extra layer of like relevancy for this episode. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I was looking at the previews while you were kind of talking through some of this. And this looks like a beautiful book. It's really um, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew about the comic. I didn't realize it was a book first. So I think when I first saw that they were doing um, a graphic novel novel adaptation, I assumed it was of the film and your review uh, has cleared me of this misconception and I would like to read it immediately because the the film for me like as a as a young girl obsessed with unicorns in the 90s like obviously I watched and was obsessed with this and then revisited the film later as an adult and was like hmm should children be watching this but also I did and I turned out fine so um but yeah. like for me also like, Kara is a perfect line from Black is- Phoenix Alchemy Lab is there really? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's it's just interesting hearing how you're describing how the the colors and the layout of the book um, kind of a- affect your um, your your interpretation of the story. Like for me, only having seen the film, the film to me always felt very um, like melancholy, and like you were 
watching this forgotten legend that had that kind of uh, ethereal quality of when you're done watching it, you wonder if it was all a dream. And it seems like the book is a slightly different version of like kind of how you were describing it as like a, like a fable and maybe there's not like the clear lines that you would have in like a story that's absolutely rooted in fact. And I, I love fantasy stories that make it feel a little more dreamlike. You should read it. Also, it will make you feel sad and nostalgic and, uh, but, but like, I don't know, comforted at the same time. Anyway. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um, it took a long well, time. Mike, you go. Yeah. No, that's okay. <laughs> this is this all sounds wonderful. I mean, like, I never thought that I'd want to check out the last unicorn graphic novel, but I think that's what I'm reading next after the show. So, um, for, but for me, uh, let's see. This this past week has been wild. It was my birthday, and Happy I went and got it. My first Happy tattoo. Birthday. Thank you. Um, Happy tattoo. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> so it was like, despite the the awfulness that was going on i will completely admit i was having a cup like a pretty bad few weeks leading up to my birthday and then like the day of was fantastic because kelly surprised me with hey we're gonna go get you a tat this tattoo you've been talking about for 10 years um and which was yeah it was really nice like genuinely i my mouth was hurting from smiling all day because i was so excited um but uh Beyond that, I have been reading a bunch of comics because I took like a couple days off from work because I was just like, fuck it. I need like just time to myself and um, read a bunch of stuff. I caught up on all the X books, you know, the X of Sword stuff, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but I did read uh, two books that I want to talk about really quick. Um, Child Star by Box Brown. Um, this came out a little while ago, but uh, it was in, it was a little out there uh, for folks that maybe were following him on Patreon or, or, or part of his Patreon. He was releasing pages of this book for like almost half a year, I think, last year. And finally, it all got collected into a graphic novel, which is a basically about this fictional 80s TV star, like child star who grows up. And then this the book follows them in like a documentary style with interviews and all this kind of stuff, which kind of reminds me of his book that he did about Andy Kaufman. Um, but in this case, it's fictional. So like the tragedy is is real, but not real. But you can see each of the, the issues or problems that this character faces kind of you can match up various child stars or young actors from the 80s and 90s who were in the limelight for a really long or for enough time to like kind of destroy their lives. And then when the limelight disappeared, how they maybe fell apart in some cases, and I think in a lot of cases. So this is a really interesting book to see Box Brown kind of try to tackle that idea of how how child stars from like the 70s, 80s and 90s um, grew up and what happened to them. Uh, but the other book I want to talk about really quick was this this book that I got from this short box Kickstarter. And I know I've talked about a couple of these, but um, this one was called She Would Feel the Same by uh, Emma Hunsinger. Uh, it's I don't really know how to describe this book without giving away the ending. But like the premise is Chloe and Phoebe have a relationship that ends abruptly and amicably like they both wake up one day and say, you know, I don't. I don't think this is working and they separate all their stuff and they, they go their separate ways, but we follow Chloe and she can't stop thinking about this relationship who she keeps saying, I don't have any problems with us breaking up. I have no problems with what happened between the two of us. Um, and the end of the book has this wonderful sequence that like, as I was reading it, I felt like I was in a, in a whirlwind tornado being thrown about in like the best way possible. Like as this character is experiencing this vast series of emotions about this thing that happens, 
I too was like really, really drawn into this book. And I mean, if you look at the art for this, it's very simple. It's line work. Um, there's not a lot of color in it. Um, in fact, Emma Hunsinger actually does art for like the New York Post's like little cartoon or not New York Post. What is it? New York, the New Yorker. They do like little political cartoons. So like if you think of that style of just like black and white line art, that's kind of what this book likes from beginning to end. Um and man, I, I loved it. Like it's from the get go. This book has something that just kind of hooks you in. And by the end, it just it d- does a great job of really breaking your heart for the character. Um, and I, I really enjoy that about that. So if you get a chance, this book is totally worth it. It might be a little expensive because it's like a short limited print run. But um, it's very, very good read. Breaking your heart for the character, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's that I don't I don't know what it is. I said. I love reading comics that that I can really just empathize with characters and I can feel their pain because it's like a it's a way for me to direct my own inner problems and feelings and I can actually like feel them in a proper way through a fictional lens. Like it's a whole thing, right? This is why I'm in therapy. I got a whole thing going on. <laughs> um, but the the one last thing I want to talk about is uh, I have a one piece update. So Xander, go ahead, roll the clip. My fortune is yours for the taking. But you'll have to find it first. I left everything I own in one piece. Thank you. Um, and I am in chapter 950. I'm so close to being caught up. Uh, I, I, I've been taking my time. Like I'm only reading like 10 to 12 chapters a week because 992 just came out. And I think that I'm on a pretty good like rounding off the marathon pace in order to get caught up before chapter 1000. And I really want to build myself up to be reading chapter 1000 the day that it comes out. So I want to read 999 the day before 1000 comes out. So that's where I'm I'm I, at with that. I uh, have to I yeah. have to ask because I feel like you you made this goal to catch up on one piece which God bless you because Jesus Christ. <laughs> so my question for you is now that you're like you have read the equivalent of like action comics. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. Do you like One Piece, or are you just kind of obligated at this point? I I actually really do like One Piece. I think that from the beginning it was a little tough to get into, but there were a couple of arcs in this story where I went, "Oh, there's some actual serious character development here that is is kind of masked by the idea of this is just shonen and they're just fighting." Um, <laughs> but every couple of every in in some of these big arcs where people are fighting, some of the characters make decisions where you go oh, wow, this is emotionally driven. This isn't just someone wanting to get more powerful. This is someone making a con... Like, the characters are making choices that kind of break your heart because you want them to be this big, cohesive family of characters. But when someone goes, no, screw that, I'm doing this thing, you're kind of like, what's going to happen? It adds, like, this level of chaos to the story um, that drives and builds these characters up, and then you can see them learn and grow from various things. And when they call back to those moments, you feel as you know, if you read a thousand chapters of something, like you feel really connected because they're making callbacks to things that you resonated in with the in the moment, and it becomes even more powerful as the story goes on. So, um, and some of the villains are just so diabolically evil. I love them. Like there's some really good villains in this series that just make the story worthwhile. So yeah, I'm I'm I like it for the most part. I feel like the current arc that I'm in right now, I think it started 30 or 40 chapters ago. I know continues into the latest chapters. So like almost a hundred chapters of one arc is insane to me. <laughs> uh because I saw like a preview page that was just like, and they're still doing the battle for this thing. And I'm like, 
I'm in chapter 940 and they didn't, the battle hasn't even started yet. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's been a wild ride, but anyways, I, you know, I could talk about one piece all day. Maybe I'll, I might have to just pull like two people in and just be like, Mike's going to rant at you for an episode about one piece once I get caught up and then it'll be fun. But let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week. Comic books are dropping on October 21st, 2020. What are you both excited for? Um, I'm going to pitch back to you, Tia. Okay, look, I'm going to be real honest. Literally nothing this week looks exciting to me. Mm -hmm. So I went out a few weeks. I hope that's okay. Totally fine. Totally fine. Cool. So I'm going to shout out to A Dark Interlude, number one, Mm -hmm. which is definitely not a sequel to Fearscape. Sorry, this is like the biggest joke on Twitter to me oh that I've God. seen. Did you see the Henry Henry takeover? I oh I did. I saw that he had done it. I didn't actually see any of the tweets though. It was so funny. What a little shit. Anyway, <laughs> so so I guess for people who don't know what Fearscape is, which definitely oh, is the first part of the story, could you explain that for folks who maybe didn't get a chance to read that? Yes. So this is a book by Ryan O'Sullivan, Andrea Muti, and Vladimir Popov, and uh, it's it's about. Uh, this writer named Henry Henry, who uh, like enters this sort of world where he kind of uh, he's he's like looking for his muse. I guess is a kind way of saying that he um is going to through nefarious means uh steal some ideas so that he it's can almost, be a famous writer. <laughs> it's almost too kind given what happens in the story. <laughs> I just, look, I don't want to give any spoilers because it's yeah, really yeah, yeah. good, and you guys should just read it. Um, and so then we have a dark interlude, which I feel like just by the title lets you know how things go in Fearscape. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, it comes out on my birthday, November 11th, and I feel like everyone should pre-order it because judging um, by how things went with Giga pre-orders, um, these are both Vault Comics books, the more pre-orders these books get, the fucking better uh, variant covers they make for it, which is oh my super God. fun so pre-order and let's get those like sweet sweet variant covers absolutely i mean i'm i'm so hyped for giga i don't i wasn't even gonna buy this in like a physical capacity but i saw some of these variant covers and i'm like i'm like writing emails i'm like how do i get this how do i make this happen (laughs) it's beautiful money mike the answer is money yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh kara what about you what are you excited for this week all right i've got an on-brand pick and an off-brand pick (laughs) My, Perfect. my um my on brand pick is uh from Archie Comics naturally. It's uh Chilling Adventures of Sabrina presents Madam Satan number one. Um it is a one shot. Uh if you have seen Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, if you've read the comic, if you have a, a an in-depth familiarity of Archie Comics varied publishing history um madame satan is a character and she is hecka evil and in my watching of the show one of my greatest disappointments was actually that her character was um underutilized is a nice way of saying it because in the comics um 
the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comic, she is like the driving force. She is the big bad. The story is mm-hmm. about her. Whereas in the show, she's like, oh, Satan, I'll do whatever you want. Love me. And I'm like, oh, God, it's Maleficent all over again. <laughs> so, um, so my hope is that for this Madame Satan comics one shot, which I always appreciate because one shots are fun because it's like you you know one and done um she uh, my hope is that it is like comic book madame satan and not like oh netflix people come here we have a comic for you like i really hope it's actually tied into the comic book because comic book madame satan is way more interesting than the show version which is such a crime because um what's her face who plays her is a great actor at roles like this like she should have had a media role anyway i could go on about that but i won't um my off-brand pick (laughs) for the comics coming out this week is dune house atreides number one of 12 so uh i'm at i'm at a moment where i'm like revisiting a lot of books that i read in middle school because i i realize now that i read a lot of things in middle school that were perhaps um like i i could read them functionally but did i really understand them um for example i just it took me like two months but i just finished rereading miss of avalon which why did i read that as a 13 year old none of that was some anything that i absorbed there's so much horny (laughs) sex like all of it's very like dreamy and like I had to constantly, it took me so long to read this book because it's like a thousand pages and I had to concentrate. Anyway, so I feel like Dune is kind of in that category um, and it's a nice moment to reconnect with it because it is soon to be a major motion picture. But when? I don't know. Pandemic. So Dune is like one of the iconic sci-fi novels ever. And I read it in middle school and I remember like certain words from it. But I could not tell you the plot. <laughs> I just remember reading it and being sure. like, my dad is right. George Lucas did rip this off for Star Wars. So, um, so now they're uh, now they're uh, making a shiny new film version of Dune and uh, comics is rising to the challenge in um, making more content around that. So House Entreaties is... Atreides is a uh, prequel series that um, Boom Studios is doing in uh, it's like very interconnected. So this is a series that's based off of a novel that's based off of um, Dune author Frank Herbert's notes like he didn't write this. This was like an authorized prequel that has now been interpreted as a graphic novel but what's interesting to me is that this prequel graphic novel is like they're like boom studios is working with abrams comic arts because abrams is doing the graphic novel interpretation of dune so they're kind of like making it all work um so i i just think it's interesting like how all of these different layers of interpretation um kind of callback it'll it'll be interesting to see if the abrams version is or or if the aesthetics on either of these versions are um tied in with the movie or just their own thing like kind of going back to what what tia was explaining about the last unicorn mean like the novel the graphic novel the film and they're all kind of distinct in their vibe overall so i'm wondering if this will be uh the same 
Yeah, I mean, comic books typically, you know, unless they're meant to be in black and white, typically have a lot of color. And from what I've seen of the Dune movie, that one has none. So I have a feeling they're <laughs> going to be slightly different. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, for me this week, I, I'm calling out Excalibur 13 uh, and X-Men 13 because they're part 9 and 10 of the X of Swords of 22. There's 22 parts to this. Um Excalibur by Jonathan Hickman with writing uh, by Tini Howard, art by Arby Sylvia, Nolan Woodward, colors by Nolan Woodward, and uh, letters by Ariana Maher. Uh, X-Men 13 by Hickman, uh, art by Mahmoud uh, Asrar, colors by Sonny Go, and letters by Clayton Co- Clayton Coles, if I could get the word out of my mouth. Um, all I want to say is it's we're nine to ten parts in eight parts in as of now that i've read and we're still just getting swords people are still just getting swords unless you're you're doug uh aka cypher you don't get a sword but you get a sword doug you get a sword but people don't want you to have that sword um that's the drama that's happening um cable plugged his sword in cable plugged his (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know like magic is like cable you if you get a sword sword, and you get a sword and you get a sword you all get swords exactly exactly um i mean and i i joke because like i'm liking the build-up it it feels like it's taking a long time i kind of expected by almost the halfway point we'd be kind of into the actual story rather than people just discovering who they are i did really enjoy storm going to get her sword i thought it was interesting i liked how the cypher story actually wasn't bad it was just kind of drawn out for like two issues um wolverine story somehow got two issues because jerry dugan was writing both books and sure let's just make a book that has, doesn't even have wolverine in it be all about wolverine for an issue because at, like i don't know like <laughs> wait, wait, it, it, like just yeah, why yeah. does wolverine need a sword if he has knuckle swords already because he because if you recall in the uh, let me push my glasses up really quick um <laughs> if you recall in the stories of wolverine there was a sword that could kill him and uh because of that that sword's actually not in the story but because what? wolverine knew the guy who made that sword and that guy's working in hell and there's a tie into the hand i'm spoiling things um what? that guy is in hell and he's making swords for the hand but then wolverine shows up and this other guy from other world shows up and they both need swords by the same guy and then they're like <laughs> i'll see you on the battleground it's no, insane what's happening I'm, right now in X-Men. I'm still it's, hung up on, say. I'm still hung up on swords for the hand, because I, I know that the hand is <laughs> the organization, <laughs> but you yeah. know. <laughs> and then of course whenever you say the hand, like I'm a, I'm more of a turtles person than a Marvel person. Oh. So I was like, no, but you mean the foot. <laughs> the foot, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it, comics, yeah, it's, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, I so I'm reading this. I'm I'm pretty much enjoying it, but I someone did point out to me like, "Hey dude, we're 8 points parts in and we only have half of the swords revealed. And we're supposed to get up to 10 swords and we have no idea what the other side of this team like the enemy team is doing, which maybe is part of the story, that's fine. Uh but this just feels like a like a big huge Dragon Ball Z training montage build up like it's just shown in manga um that plays in constantly with the idea of like tarot cards, right? Cuz like the X of Swords, 10 of Swords, thing is like a big component of the story um and yeah the only thing that's really bothering me is these info duff graphic pages that you know we know hickman loves to do but he's doing like they're dropping these these info dump pages about the various pieces of the other world which is this magic land that connects all multi all all dimensions together in one center place and there's 10 sections to it and we keep getting information about each of the sections and i don't know if any of that's going to be relevant to the story like i have a feeling one or two will be but 
it just it just feels like information overload when I don't know. I got a whole rant about this. Yeah. I was just saying, do you think the X-Men ever just kind of like look around within their own world and they're just like, what is happening? Why are we doing these things again? Yeah. Let's, you yeah. know, well, just, like, there, there was a bit of a storyline. Like, what is he? Like, what? I know. Like, like, I'm just sure, unpacking sure all, a bunch of just. We all just have swords now and it's fine. Like, okay. Well, there's a, there's a big buildup. People got mad about one thing or another, and then they said, "Hey, you know what? We're going to challenge you and your whole universe to this fight." And then the I, living island was like, "But I want to re- be reunited with this other side of me that got trapped in this other dimension thousands and thousands of years ago, and only Apocalypse really knows what happened." And then, yeah, there's there's a whole okay. lot going on. Right. One of these now days, that- I'm just going to give an my oral history of the x-men um and the last dawn of x years so yeah all right so now that you've you've given a more broad overview it's essentially space jam but with swords instead of basketball (laughs) like you have to battle it out for the oh my gosh yeah it's space jam yeah thank you (laughs) i actually love that okay I'm stealing that idea. Thank you, Kara. I love sure. it. Um, okay. We're well with that, with that wonderful summation of everything, that's so much better than me actually explaining what's going on. We're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna be talking about our ideal comic book convention or just an ideal convention in general. So we'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, we are talking about our ideal comic book convention or just convention in general. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody that on October 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we're going to be hanging out on our Discord. If you're not already a member, make sure to get on there. You don't have to be a member of the Patreon. You can just jump on and hang out with us. We're going to be talking comics. We might be playing some video games. We might be doing all sorts of different stuff. Um, So if you want to come hang and chat with some of us and just talk about comics, talk about whatever, play Among Us, all that stuff's going to be happening on October 24th at 8 p.m. So make sure to jump on the Discord. You can go to ircbpodcast.com slash Discord and get an immediate invite onto that. So we hope to see you then, 8 p.m. October 24th. Anyways, let's uh, let's talk about comic book conventions. Tia and Kara came to me and said, Mike, we're going to talk about comic book conventions because we miss them so damn much. We want to describe what our ideal comic book convention is. So I guess to get things started... Um, to Kara or Tia, whoever wants to go first, what is your like favorite con experience? And do you think that you're going to use that as like your basis to describe your your convention idea that you have? Hmm. I know. Put you on the spot for this one. I know. Ooh. I feel like all of my favorite things about conventions happen after the actual convention. Oh, of course. I had I was thinking about adding a whole section to like aftercon, <laughs> like est- like established itinerary and things like that. Last year after New York Comic Con, I got to go to the Stan Lee retrospective that Marvel did. Oh, yeah. Um that was pretty great and then there was like this amazing after party at the Wax Museum, which is a very surreal place to run around with an open bar. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's priority number one. When you say after the convention, straight to the wax museum for the post party, right? God, <laughs> open bar. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that having been to conventions as a fan and as a pro, I by far prefer going as a pro. But I recognize that for me, a lot of that is tied up with um, social anxiety. 
because mm-hmm. if I go to a convention as a fan, I am in charge of my itinerary. It is all up to me. And in, for example, a format like New York Comic Con, where there are way too many people packed into the Javits Center, that can get overwhelming pretty quickly. Um, yeah. yeah. But if I'm there as a pro, I generally have an objective and a schedule, and I know where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. And it and and it makes the free time between those obligations a little more special as opposed to Mm -hmm. just like i have the whole day oh god (laughs) yeah yeah um so so i've always preferred like that kind of format um so so i guess you know because obviously not everybody can go as a pro i do like conventions that have a broad range of programming and uh timed events so that i'm not just like here i am on the show floor all day i guess like i can be um like oh like at 10 a.m i can go to this talk and if i start waiting on line at noon maybe i'll get into this panel at four like it's a um right, for, right. for people who do want to have those like more structured experiences that's i think a little more helpful than just like here is an opportunity to talk to creators whose work you like try not to flub it up <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> You know, like even 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 creators I've I've spoken to before, like some some of them who who recognize me, I'm still just like, ha, ah, ah, you know my name. <laughs> so I definitely <laughs> am way less chill about it than Tia is. Tia is like the master of ah, a fellow human being. Let me talk to them as a fellow human being, and I'm just like, right. your art is pretty. <laughs> so, <laughs> gotcha. I mean, I my my thought is, you know, like I. I think some of the, the best interactions I've had were just like, like I, I like overhearing a conversation and then like listening into somebody talking and like having one moment where you say, um, and this is usually like not on the convention floor. This is always at like the bar con or post something where you're just in like a group of four or five or six people and, and like talking with, uh, either, you know, other creators or just, you know, other people that were at the show and hearing about what they're doing. That's like my favorite part is reflecting upon the day, like after, I guess like, you know, a day of chaos. Cause I, I feel that same thing of, you know, when, when cons are too big and there's so much to do and you don't have like a scheduled, pro, you know, to go to and follow, um, it can be pretty overwhelming. But when you do the stuff and you're just like, Oh man, I did all these, this really cool stuff and reflecting back on it. That's usually where it's like, okay, I actually did have fun. It wasn't, wasn't all chaos and anxiety the, the entire day. So, um, yeah, I guess, sorry, that's totally tangent. I guess as far as planning our conventions as to what would make our conventions, right? It sounds to me like like scheduled programming seems like a big thing that we'd want up there. No, well, false. No. The opposite of that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, okay. Explain, explain. I want nothing to happen before 2 p.m. And mm-hmm. I do not want to have to be anywhere at any time. I just want an entire show of Artist Alley and just leave me alone. <laughs> you know I, I second that. The The more the more I've had opportunities to go to conventions, the more I'm just like, my itinerary is I am doing every single aisle of Artist Alley and like everything else is superfluous because that's really mm-hmm. the most interesting part of most, especially larger conventions because larger conventions like New York, like San Diego, even Chicago a little bit at this point, they're just kind of like, and here's the movies and video games section. And over there are the comics in the corner. I'm like, no, it's a comic right. convention. <laughs> comic right. convention. 
Um, well, that's that's kind of like the been the big thing that's 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 been overwhelming. I think about the big conventions specifically is that like they draw in some of the bigger like names in comics, right? Folks that don't attend a lot of small conventions or don't have the, a reason to attend small conventions because there's not they're not invited. There's no like provide provision to make make that happen. So like when you get to like a New York City Comic Con or a C two E two or an Emerald City or SDCC even, um, and I, you know I've never been to that one, but uh, that's where you do get the the bigger names because they're at near an international airport and it's easier for them to get there. And there's more of a pull because maybe like they're going to see the most people. And so the idea is to try to like cover all of your bases. But the problem is still with the exception of Emerald city, I think it becomes more of just like comic books are like the smaller quarter of this thing. And it's more about like, look what audible's doing. Look at what, you know, uh, Netflix's latest comic book show is. And they've got huge fucking wall banners that it's just like, what are we here for again? Like, I get that that's comic book related, but it's not actually comic books in in a weird way. My, but that does draw a lot of people. So it's like, how do you, I guess this kind of drives into a question that I I uh, I have on my list here is, you know, how do you draw the line between making this an attractive, making a, a convention an attractive ordeal for more people, but also keeping it comic books focused or keeping it like focused on people who create these things that these mega properties are based off of, you know? I mean, I really think that shows like um, Thought Bubble does a great job at that. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty much just comics. Uh but also I would say shows like Emerald City Comic Con where there's an entire floor dedicated to Artist Alley. It's just massive. Mm-hmm. When I go to Emerald City Comic Con, I actually have no clue what is happening outside of that floor. And I don't really care. You know, it's yeah. like... um and the, and actually, there's panel rooms on that floor, too. So, you know, if you do want to go to some more structured programming, if you're Kara, uh, you know, you can still kind of just pretend that it's just that floor, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really great way to um, emphasize comics, but still have the other stuff around. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because part of that also is you know the beyond just the artist alley floor is like vendors who are selling various gear and you know the Funko Pop booths and like but oh actual comic book shops are also there and you know places that are just trying to sell their wares if they've got you know either old comics from like the forties and fifties um, to even stuff you know some places that are just selling like old books that they need to get out of their back you know their back office that they've been sitting on for forever and they're selling them for, you know, a dime a piece. Um, Cause that also I think is a big function of the comic book conventions is some, ple- some merchants are showing up there just trying to like sell off as much of their stock as possible. And by bringing it to a big convention or even a, like a small convention, you're probably getting people looking at your stuff that normally wouldn't have walked into your shop or found your shop on eBay or Etsy or wherever you're selling your stuff. So like is like, cause that, that, that side of the convention is also like, I think a big pull for people and it makes money because these people are paying in and yada, yada, yada. So I don't know. I like, I'm trying to find, like a balance because as much as i think artist alley is super pretty much should be the focus of a lot of these comic book conventions there is that other side that has like is related to comics in a lot of ways i mean the funko pop thing that's not but i think there is still like comic book vendors and other things like that that are that work alongside of that and make those conventions work you know 
those aisles are always not the Funko Pop ones, but the <laughs> the comics from um, smaller vendors. Those are always my refuge aisles because no one is ever in them. <laughs> They're a reliable <laughs> place to get away from people. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. That there are more conventions now that are setting up quiet rooms. And I think that is really, really smart. I know mm-hmm. there's an organization that I believe is mostly a presence at like game conventions. Um, they're called Take This and they focus on like mental health in the gaming community. Yeah. And yeah. they will often sponsor quiet rooms. Uh, so I think awareness of... Um, you know, the need for quiet rooms, family rooms, uh, and, you know, and other attention to accessibility is really appreciated. Um, A really good friend of mine, uh, you know, has, uh, walks with a cane and can't stand in lines for long periods of time. Thought Bubble was pretty great with, um, you know, like helping to make sure that we had our place in line, even though we couldn't actually stand there. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, I think if we're talking about ideal conventions, um, accessibility and just kind of giving some attention to the mental health, uh, needs of, of convention goers is, is appreciated and, and necessary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of that, like, I think over the past three or four years of just more and more presence of that kind of stuff and more highlighting in like the the maps that they give you for the convention or making sure that at can, like some panels, people will say, don't forget that this room exists. You know, like this is somewhere you can go if you're feeling overwhelmed today or if this, you know, this this is a big convention, lots of people. If you need to go somewhere and just sit like this is a place to go, um, which I, I think is, is super great because I've. I think up until maybe last year, I never considered that something that I'd even wanted a convention. But um, then last year, I was like, huh, it would be nice to just go sit and just not have to hear the din of screaming in the Marvel booth going, hey, we're giving away free old t-shirts. Like, I don't really give a shit, Marvel. (laughs) Like, please quiet down. You're destroying this convention for me. Well, how cute are these Hulk t-shirts that we're talking about? Because I would like a they're, free They're thing. not. They're screen printed and you wash them once and the whole, all the art's going to fall off. Uh. Um, no, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 the thing about sometimes with the big the big c- convention presences. I mean, Marvel and DC, those are comics groups and they're typically promoting not just their television and movies, but they are promoting a lot of comics because they get like the big signatures. But they also have this like footprint in the convention that is just like absurd it's like everyone fucking knows who you are Marvel. you don't have to scream <laughs> the whole time we get it <laughs> okay um thing that is little yet huge um charge ports you need to have ex- like the I- ideal convention needs to have like charging stations for people who inevitably need to plug in their phone for a little while mm-hmm. not everyone is going to think ahead and bring a battery pack and like you know i'm i'm a really big like get your face out of your phone just enjoy the moment but at a convention you're coordinating with people you're trying to use like the digital program and find where you're going maybe you're taking mm-hmm. pictures maybe you're streaming something for a friend who can't make it like and i just thinking about my experience at conventions particularly at again the javits center in new york there's like like one time i plugged in my phone at an outlet that was like seven feet tall 
it was like seven feet up the wall and i like had to plug in my phone up there and like rest my phone on top of a column and just kind of stand there awkwardly (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. just you know sometimes you just need to charge your phone so let's make it easier for people also Um, please just give us wi-fi that works please (laughs) yeah (laughs) especially in artist alley where people you know like look I, I mean, the whole discussion of cons post-COVID will, is, a, is an entirely different one. I'm not sure I can even speculate on it at this point, but con crud is real and cash is disgusting. So please yeah. give us Wi-Fi so that vendors and people in Artist Alley can use their Square reader so we don't have to touch cash. Mm-hmm. Mm. Either Square or Venmo or anything that would just like allow you to pay them digitally so you don't have to interact like hand to hand um i mean that's yeah i totally agree with that it's it's bizarre because you'd think that the places that they would want to ensure that there is wi-fi i mean that's the thing if i'm running this convention i'm putting like dedicated 5g hotspots or something like in these places so that you know people who are constantly making transactions and trying to get themselves paid can get themselves paid digitally and very easily um because that's it's absurd that you wouldn't prioritize that like i get the javits center or you know a lot of these bigger conventions they're just like well we don't have the infrastructure it's like you're bringing in a hundred thousand people to your convention center how do you not have the infrastructure for this well, it's like just that's, kind of like, that's absurd to me. Like any business where you're selling something, you need to make the ease of transaction like seamless because the more barriers someone has to spending their money, the more time they have to think about it. So if you're trying mm-hmm. to facilitate a transaction, you want people to just hand over their money without thinking about it. Because once you say like, oh, my square reader's not working. Can you go get cash? The only ATM is on the next floor and across the floor. Like you're not going to maybe yeah. spend that money then. Right. Capitalism. How, am I, how else am I going to afford this $300 commission that I got of, you know, Gambit diving into a swimming pool? Like, come on. That sounds delightful. Please get that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, all right. So so commissions is actually one of my uh, like thing. Uh, Memories that I have burning brightly across the expanse of conventions I've been to have been getting mm-hmm. to observe artists drawing, whether it's, you know, working on a commission or doing a sketch real quick. Like, that's something really special. I don't want it to be like, here, artist, draw on demand. But like, it's, it's an opportunity for them to crank out some some works, depending on the level of complexity and even if you're just walking by like you can observe part of their process as long as this you're not making it creepy like no looming please mm-hmm. this is see this is part of why i offered to help stephanie hans at her table at c2e2 because i just got to sit next to her and watch her paint for a while and it was amazing <laughs> also she's super fun and i love her but like yeah <laughs> very talented and it's like literal magic i i don't even understand how it happens yeah mm-hmm. I, I was i was just re-listening to the the bonus episode or the episode you did with her recently um for the donation which everybody you can still do that if you've got 25 bucks or more if you want to donate to a cause that is very much in need right now um please let us know and we can figure that out but i listened to that episode and it she she sounds like like the most magical person to talk to like i could have listened to two more hours of you guys chatting because it was just like she sounds so fun. <laughs> she is so fun. I love Stephanie. I miss her. I miss everyone. Yeah. I hate this year. Oh. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> Tia, Tia, not to make you sad, but tell us what makes a good party at a convention. 
Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think that we need uh, a certain DJ lineup Mm -hmm. of people who understand how to keep a dance floor energy up and who do not let me play anything because I will mess it up. (laughs) (laughs) Are you speaking from experience? Yeah. Oh, I, have I not talked about the the Wicktive party at Emerald City Comic Con where I was given permission to play a few songs and then um, I was in the DJ booth and I forget, I think Voodoo People by Prodigy was on and mm-hmm. the dance floor was like going off and I was like, yes, this is amazing. I'm going to take a video of this so I can cherish this memory forever. But I forgot that when you open the video um on the on your iphone it shuts off the sound of whatever's playing and my phone was connected to the sound system and it just the music it just went silent i can hear just like a movie audible Uh just oh Uh that's exactly what happened and then i hit under a chair (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, so note to self, if T is running the DJ booth, make sure she has a dedicated camera. Oh, you know what? Like <laughs> I think that I think we learned that day that my my role is um not in the DJ booth. Okay. So glitter, a good dedicated we need, DJ. Yeah, we need the yeah. glitter anointing because it, you know, like I recently was looking through the Wicked Wake tag just to like make myself sad and lonely, mm-hmm. and it just it's it, it amazed me how like what an impression that made on people and how it made people feel like they were a part of something. You know, I don't know, like, and that really to me is I think the key to a great con and a great con after party which is like making people feel like they had been part of something um you know if you go to bar con or a lot of the like publisher parties there's you know like groups of people and they hang out with other groups of people that they know and if you don't know anybody um it can feel really awkward and so intimidating (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah so um you know it's actually it's funny. I remember that going at the convention where I got the last unicorn. Uh, the, my very first convention when I went by myself and felt really awkward and and like intimidated. I remember I put a bag of um, like mini candy bars, like Halloween candy, in my bag, and I basically would like when I was waiting in lines, I would bust it out and like offer it to people around me and as just a way to be like hey you know people let's Mm -hmm. say hi um you could break the ice with candy and and so i feel like like along the same lines you know at these parties it's sort of like hey glitter oh you're glittered oh glitter you know i don't know it just was it like a, an icebreaker but then also this like beautiful moment where you could like look out over the dance floor and everyone's face is glittering and it i don't know it just like it i think i i like to think it made it helped make people feel like they were like part of something yeah i mean it, it became you know you were you were then part of the the in club within the in club and like everybody got glittered you know that night and it wasn't like you were excluding anybody um at least from the i should say from the new york city comic con i went to um but it was it was still nice like i think to go back to your point about like everyone showing up for this one thing and it being different than a publisher party. It was like, we all had the one thing in common, right? 
it wasn't like a publisher party where you're like, oh, I know of Marvel or I've worked at Marvel. There's no way to determine what people's like connection was to the publisher party where versus the wake party, which was like this was everybody getting together to say, like, we all read this thing. We're celebrating this thing and we all can at least share this one thing. So if everybody needs something to talk about, there's at least who's your favorite? Who's your favorite God? You know, because <laughs> that, that's at least a common thing. Yeah, it does. Uh, it- it definitely does help to like feel already that you have common ground with people like um, a few years ago one of my friends and i went to the firefly 10-year anniversary panel at new york Mm comic-con and just waiting in line for that you could just tell by what people were wearing that they were like they were here for this panel like that is why Mm -hmm. they had come and so it was really easy to then just be like oh like what what of the less than 20 episodes did you enjoy most and what's your favorite quote and like people were going around with like bracelets and so like you know t is right if you like hand stuff out you are very popular (laughs) yeah um and i i think on that note though i think what we're we're kind of describing here is like super niche celebrations of things i think like as far as the like party scenes i think this, the thing that I've always wanted, I've, I've always been confused about at conventions is like, I don't know how you hear about these parties, right? Unless you know somebody who knows somebody. Um, and not to say that things should be wholly organized or anything like that. But like, if there are like these hyper niche parties, like there's nothing that says you could that there couldn't be some sort of general like posting or some place to find out about it. And maybe there is, I just don't know about it. Um, but you know, if there is going to be like a big firefly after party, or there's going to be another thing after party, you know, like, how do you broadcast that in a way to make sure that it's not necessarily completely overwhelming for people? And there's not like a 1000 or 2000 people attending, but also like, you know, to, to, to make sure that you're finding the interest of things that you like and to saying, you know, Saturday night, I'm going to go to this party. That's about this hyper specific thing. And I'm going to enjoy myself because I really enjoy this hyper specific thing. I don't know. I, I don't know if organizing that makes it worse or makes it better, but like, well, um, cause, yeah. Cause you're saying that. And then I'm flashing back to um, when we went to C2E2 in Chicago and we went to check out Barcon and it was just people everywhere like you couldn't even get near the bar and it was just like it 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 didn't feel fun part of the problem there is that the convention center is not near anything that's the only place you can go whereas in other cities you, you know you can go places yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting if the convention center like opened itself up to parties, because I think part of the problem as well is that and in Chicago, like if you're going to do anything at the bar, you have to be in that one small bar area. You can't be anywhere else. They don't let you go into the convention and do your own thing or have like a dedicated party at another place unless you're willing to drive, you know, like you said, like 20 or 30 minutes away to get to some other place. But who wants to do that? Um and like the advantage of like Emerald City or um, or New York City Comic Con is like like New York City, you can go to just any other bar that's like within walking distance of the convention center or the hotels that people are staying at. Or, you know, Emerald City, there's so many hotel bars that are open, like just pick one of the dozen and that's there's there's going to be a party there. Um, and again, all walking distance within the convention center. So location matters. Yeah, location matters. It's weird because I've I think I never had a problem with Chicago before 
because I never really went to those like big after parties. I would just get drunk with my friends and we it's, you know, there's only a dozen of us. So we'd sit in a hotel room or we would sneak off into the convention center, even though you weren't supposed to and like find a place to sit, you know, in, in one of the open spaces. But if you're trying to go to a party where there might be a you know, hundred or so people, um, you definitely need a dedicated space. Otherwise it's just going to be crowded and out of hand. So convention, so organized, organized party. No, <laughs> convention yeah, parties <laughs> convention in a place where other stuff is walking distance so you're not just in the island of the convention right and th- this kind of brings up something that i was thinking about when it comes to small cons but uh, sorry go ahead kira oh no like i was gonna say so when uh i most recently went to emerald city comic-con i was feeling really overwhelmed and so it was nice that two blocks away there was a movie theater so in the middle of the day i just went to the movies by myself so i could be in a dark room and not have to really deal with anything for a while yeah and that just would not have been an option for me in chicago right unless you wanted to go to like the abandoned side of the convention center but then you're in spooky ghost territory and i know it's october but like not in a convention center i don't need a, a horror to film to happen there here, mike yeah yeah <laughs> Um, but the one thing that I was thinking about with small conventions is like, I I don't know how many like smaller conventions you guys have attended where it's like, you know, maybe two or three or 4,000 people. Um, but I've gone to a couple here in New York. I've gone to a handful like in, in Midwest. And the thing that I always appreciate about those is that they're usually in the middle of like a downtown center. They're usually in the middle of some kind of populated area because they're not in a dedicated huge convention space they're usually like in in either a smaller convention space or they're in like a repurposed place to actually have the convention like um like i've been to mocha like twice and that's like a little bit off the beaten path but it's still in manhattan within walking distance of a bunch of food places and a bunch of other stuff so it's not hard to get to and i just to kind of harken back to the idea of location matters i think like the idea is that like the smaller the convention the better kind of except for the part where how do you pull in like these bigger names and you know other things to draw more folks to the convention but it's like a balancing balancing act of how do we draw in more people and bring in more bigger names but also like how do we make it so that it's not like 150,000 people like San, uh, San Diego or New York City to the point where it's it's just an entire city size by itself and it's so chaotic that you need to go to a movie theater you know just to find some peace um so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about that because I like the idea of location matters, but it's like we, I, I, in my mind, I'd like to balance between bringing in a lot of creators to draw people, but also like comic books is only so big, which is why you need to bring in some other stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that before we come close to wrapping up. I mean, I don't think that it is a one size fits all. Like I do like San Diego and you know New York and the bigger shows. I don't want every show to be like that, but mm-hmm. I would find it a little, I don't know, monotonous if every show were tiny, but I do like going to the, to smaller shows too. Um, you know, I think that a show needs to just understand what it is so that it can make sure that people can enjoy the things about it that make it what it is, but are not overwhelmed by it or underwhelmed by it you know so maybe a smaller show needs to have like one hero party or you know a one really big name but otherwise like keep it really small and maybe the big shows need to just make sure that there's good crowd control a good quiet room but otherwise just like let it be you know a big bombastic crazy experience 
Yeah. But with some some of the things that we mentioned, like accessibility, um, outlets, Wi-Fi, um, food choice, because More, usually it's yeah. not great on, and you have to bring in your own snacks. And that's like another thing to think of. Um, yeah. More places to sit in general. Like, I understand they don't want people just lounging all day, but also how much of a hassle is it to try to walk up the stairs in the convention center and there's just like dozens of people just kind of lounging thinking that oh i'm not in the way when like all they're doing is being in the way i don't know i I always get annoyed by that because i I wish that there was somewhere for people to just go and sit and just hang out for a little bit a waiting room those those room those places exist it's just they're not as frequent as i would want i think and and maybe this harkens back to like the accessibility thing just giving people a place to sit down and yeah but i mean the this is all the good faith, hoping that people don't abuse it the entire time. But no, I was I don't at, know. when we went to again C two E two at Chicago. I had just busted my ankle. I was in right. a boot the whole time, and like the only way I could, the like the at one point the closest bathroom to me was down like two flights of stairs. So I was like mm-hmm. very gingerly going step by step like hoping nobody would like bump into me and then like all the food options around me were here is a small greasy pizza here is another small greasy pizza and i'm like (laughs) i'm injured and i'm sad and i'm just trying to prop up my foot and it's lunch rush and there's so many people here and so yeah um accessibility does matter Yeah. yeah 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 um but yeah i think i think my favorite uh note out of this conversation has definitely been kind of what um Tia was saying about ma- making people feel included. Um I think that mm-hmm. uh, uh this has gotten better in comics and nerddom but in some ways there is still kind of a gatekeeper aspect and conventions are if done well a way to kind of surmount that and be like no like I feel like it's better if they're more like you are welcome here. You like the thing. We like the thing. Here's a way to connect with other people who like the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, perfect. I think I mean that that's kind of a great way to sum up how we do this right. Like, let's just make people feel included. Um, well, I guess. Did you guys have any any final thoughts on on your ideal convention? Any bits you want to get in before we wrap up here? My dream is for there to be a convention situation where tia and can host some kind of like elaborate masquerade ball because i feel like that would be (laughs) just like the ultimate fancy after party and i don't mean to put tia on the spot but like let's like tia has taste guys like let's just make her in charge (laughs) i don't think i could do it without uh jaslyn stone who Mm -hmm. actually planned the uh the emerald city comic-con wicked party and the wicked wake at new york comic-con i just i just did what she said that's all mm-hmm. i see mm-hmm. we'll give you the like the artistic mindset in the right direction and then we'll hire jaslyn and pay her an I'm absorbent amount tia of money the budget to make and whatever this tia whatever tia wants to do with the budget whatever hire who you want <laughs> get the vendors you want great perfect exactly <laughs> well fantastic i i guess well thank you both for joining me on this episode to chat about this i think this is this has been really fun and it makes me miss seeing both of your wonderful faces as well as getting to go to the convention centers and and be wild and frustrated and anxious like i miss all of that 
stuff that we put on ourselves to go and make these conventions happen. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe next year, maybe the year after, we'll get together and do that. Um, but with all that being said, uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Tia at Portrait of Madam X, spelled the cool French way. You can follow Kara at Kara SM. You can follow me at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at IRCP Podcast. This show and our many subscriber-only episodes are powered by fans like you on Patreon. Join us now at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is a great guy. He's a, he's a fun person to talk to and play video games with, and he also edits the show, and he does a wonderful job. I want to say thank you again to Kara and Tia for being on this episode, and thank you to everyone out there who listens to the show. You are wonderful people. You are also cosplayers on the main stage looking for a fight. So until next <laughs> Next time, comics are good, and so are you. Sorry, I keep sidetracking. You guys are really fascinating today. No, this is the... That's the most wonderful like summation of what the happening to Exosword I've ever heard. Like you have, you they're have essentially just descri- you have just described like Space Jam to me. They're just assembling cosmic they're a cosmic baseball team. If Space Jam could be analogous to baseball in some way, that's exactly what's happening. Because okay. characters that have no rights carrying swords are carrying swords right now. And I think that's that's essentially what Space Jam is. Like Bugs Bunny should not have been good at basketball. Tweety Bird, whatever. Tweety so, Bird, Mike. Tweety Bird is tw- really Tweety good. Tweety Bird, <laughs> Tasmanian Devil. Oh my gosh, I'm starting to draw lines here. Right. Um. Yeah, I really I'll, like this idea. Okay, I'll do this episode with you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, I'll just I'll just start to unfold about the information that I get, and then you can just draw the parallels to, to Space Jam. <laughs> it's the greatest sports movie. I don't know what you want. Yeah.